0: Hey, I'm Stephen Hovatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10:15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. I don't know if you want to think of what we're going to do today as the last. In our series in prayer, or if you want to think about it as the first in our series leading to the cross, but today we'd go with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's the place where those journeys intersect. In Mark chapter 14, we're going to spend some time mining this passage a little bit today, so if you want to turn there with me, uh, I want to look at some of what happens in this text. It is a discipleship text. We think of our mission here at Central as being about following Jesus together. Following Jesus, the process of being people who have been called into his life, to be called together into the company of teachers, students. I mean, the company of students or, or followers, disciples, who recognize Jesus is the one who is teaching us everything. Teaching us about what it means to live, teaching about what it means to be a better husband, father, talking about my own self here. Teaching me about what it means to be a better uh, a better person at work, a better co-worker. Teaching me about what it means to be a better neighbor, a better driver. There are people out there that need to hear that from Jesus now. What it means for me to be a better person in my nine to five and in all of my 24-7 right? Jesus is teaching me all those things. And we do, we we are the company of people who have said we're going to allow Jesus. We're going to ask Jesus to teach us what it means to follow him in all of those places, in all of those places. And so we said at the beginning of our journey this year, thinking about some of the things that we're trying to pay particular attention to that as students of Jesus one of the ways that we
1: have to follow him is by following him in the way of prayer and honestly that should have come with a warning label,
0: because there is no such thing as following Jesus only in the way of prayer But when we start to pay attention to what Jesus gives us in the way of prayer, it will lead us to the garden where we have one of the most puzzling and strange scenes of Jesus at prayer in all of the Gospels. It really is a strange piece. We need to learn to pay attention to the strange pieces in the scripture because they're the places where our discomfort keeps us from making Jesus into whatever we want him to be we have an idea of what it means to be a christian or what it what it means to be a disciple and you know truth be told we could all just kind of remake jesus to kind of be what we think he ought to be the problem is we come on texts like this and What the gospels tell us about Jesus is not exactly what we might expect. Who would expect that in this one highlighted prayer, we would find Jesus offering an unanswered prayer? Now, this is a problem for people who think that the real issue with unanswered prayers is the problem with the person praying them, right? I mean, if the reason that prayers aren't offered or or aren't answered is because somebody wasn't righteous enough or they weren't holy enough or they didn't have their life together. And so they were praying in a way and that that, you know, God doesn't answer prayers like that. I mean, what are you going to do with this prayer that comes from Jesus, right? I find some comfort in that Jesus himself offers a prayer that is not answered in the way that he would have wanted. You feel that? So let's read through this text and I want us to catch some pieces of Jesus's garden prayer because I don't think we can say we've really opened ourselves to learning the way of prayer about Jesus. We haven't really said, Lord, teach us to pray If we don't let him teach us to pray in the garden, in the garden. It starts off showing us, by the way, that this is a discipleship text, because when he goes to Gethsemane, he doesn't go there alone. It says he takes his disciples with him and all of them go to the garden. And then he even more particularly takes uh, Peter, James, and John with him further into the garden. But notice that it's all the disciples that first in, in verse 32 of Mark 14, all of the disciples hear this phrase, sit here while I pray, right? Sit here while I pray, that's for all of them. Sit, keep vigil while I pray. But then it says he takes Peter and James and John with him. And then the text tells us this. And buddy, this smacks to me of something that really is one of those eyewitnesses things in the Gospels. It says that when they went further with him, he was distressed and agitated. A lot of people's image of Jesus is Jesus always with his hands perfectly folded, just so. And his his prayers are the model of serenity. They are perfectly composed.
1: They are said in perfectly holy tones. But I need a Jesus that paces around sometimes while he prays. I I need a Jesus that sometimes
0: stumbles over his words because he's not sure what to say next. A Jesus who prays not just out of serenity, but sometimes comes to God and prays out of distress, agitated, He's churning. He has turmoil in his heart and in his soul because he sees what's coming and it bothers him. And man, I feel that right. A Jesus, who comes to the garden to pray, he comes in distress and in agitation. He says to his disciples, I am deeply grieved. I'm grieved even to death. Jesus says to his disciples, y'all, this is killing me. Not ready yet to say literally. I mean, we know where the road is going, but he's saying at this point, just the angst and the anxiousness about what's happening in this moment and where it might go. Jesus says, this is killing
1: me. I am grieved to death over what seems to be on the horizon. So he says, stay here. And keep awake.
0: And we get a little foreshadowing here of what's going to come. You know this story well. You know that they do pretty good about staying here, but partly because they didn't do well at keeping awake. The text is kind of walking us into the story about what it... What it means to be a disciple with Jesus, standing with him as he teaches us about prayer in this moment, in this moment right before the cross. And part of what he has to say is
1: keep awake, stay awake, be vigilant. Why is that? Goes on a little further, it says he throws
0: himself on the ground. Not just that he bowed down, he threw himself on the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, this is where, by the way, we talked last week about how the spirit that's within us is always praying using this language, Abba, Father. Okay. So Romans is uh, what, what Paul shares with us in that text in Romans 8. It's kind of calling on this, right? That Jesus, this is, there's something to this, by the way. It's not just that Jesus says, Daddy, Abba, Father, in his most peaceful moments. But in the moment of his greatest need. That's when Jesus speaks in the most intimate voice to the Father. It is the intimacy of the distressed son that is being shown to us here. Pleading, and he says, for you, Father, all things are possible. Remove this cuff from me. And he says this, and yet, not what I want, but what you want. Now here in what Jesus says here, an echo of what that would-be disciple uh, said when he came to him and he was bringing his, his son that was, was demon-possessed. And he's in a place where he really wants this, his son to be healed and he believes that it can happen, but he also doesn't quite believe that he happened. You remember what, what he said earlier in Mark? He says, I believe, but heal my unbelief. And I hear Jesus almost echoing that, not necessarily this time about trust, but about wanting to be on the same page with God, his Father, wanting to want what God wants, and yet recognizing that he's
1: not there in this moment. That he does and he doesn't. That he's willing, but he doesn't want it. And I think that space
0: is so strange to us who want to imagine a serene Jesus who is completely in control at every given moment. In this moment, Jesus
1: is showing us what it means give up a little bit of the control. That's why this passage is terrifying.
0: That's what's scary about this story. To say, even Jesus, the son of God, who in all ways we think wants what God wants in this moment, he is distressed and he's agitated. And he says, oh, God, isn't there another way? And, you know, if we read this and we kind of put ourselves in this place, like it feels like he knows there isn't another way but it's the desperation of can't there be some other way? And I know that there's people in this crowd that have felt that prayer before.
1: God, come on. Isn't there some way around this? Isn't there something you can do? Isn't? This avoidable? Can't you just pull a rabbit out of your hat and make the magic happen and make the suffering go away? Yet Jesus here in this space somehow
0: has this both-and kind of thing going on, where he can say both those things. Distress, please take it away, and yet here we have. A prayer of surrender that says, though it's honest to say, this is what I want, but is also willing to say, but God, do what you want. This is a prayer that says, God, I, I, I have my desires. I would choose a different way. And actually, that's part of the heart of it, right? Part of what makes the choice to say, God, do what you want. Part of what that makes that choice so significant is that it also comes with the honesty to say, that's not what I would choose myself. That makes it more valuable, doesn't it? Some of y'all know this process that you go through every time your family is going to go eat or you and your lover are going to go eat. You ever have one of those days where they say, they don't even ask, they just say, hey, I wanna go blank, whatever the fill in the blank is and and you know good and well that they're saying that that's the place because they know it's your choice, right? and you know what that makes that a little bit more special doesn't it when you when you know somebody is willingly giving you something that's different than what they want to do and they're willingly choosing that for you and by the way this because that's so important that's why god never gives us spouses who want to go to the same place we do it's part of the spiritual discipline of it i don't know what i did that god felt like he needed to work on me with wisdom not this isn't about kelly to give me kids that only want to eat at Zaxby's. I don't know what I need to, what I'm pulling out of my life and heart to do that, but God's working on me. You know what I'm saying though? When somebody says, I know that's not what I would want to do, but I bet that's, I bet that's what you want to do. Let's go do it. That makes it different, doesn't it? That's such a trivial example. Yet here in the garden, Jesus says, not what I want, but what you want. Verse 37, he comes after this first initial round of prayer. It says he came and he found them sleeping. Remember, he said, keep awake, right? But he comes and he finds them sleeping. And he says to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? That's one of those questions you know Jesus knew the answer to, right? I wonder if Peter knew the answer to it. You ever wake up and you're like, ah, Am I asleep? What happened? You know? I wonder if Peter was like, ah. Ah. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour? Keep awake. And pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. By the way, I want to add a little bit of context to this. Uh, If you'll notice, we started in, what we start in verse 32? If you notice the few verses before that, what's uh, what's the heading that you have for the section right above that? Jesus predicts Peter's denial, okay? Now, I'm just saying that if you've made your bold prediction about how you'll never turn your back on Jesus and he says, you're gonna do it before the night's over, and then Jesus says, stay awake, I mean, you'd be be putting your toothpicks in your eyes, right? He's like, hey, Peter, might be a good time to be praying. Might be a good time. There's stuff coming, right? You know that this is a trial, a temptation that's coming your way. You might ought to be preparing for it. But how about this part also? Let's say this part where he says, the spirit indeed is willing. Maybe he's speaking about Peter's own desire there. Peter's desire to say, when he says earlier, I will never deny you. He knows that Peter's spirit is willing, right? That he knows that Peter's flesh is weak. He knows that this guy that's fallen asleep so quickly here he knows what's going to happen with his flesh in just a, a few short moments but maybe he's not talking about Jesus I mean maybe he's not talking about Peter's flesh here I mean Jesus himself is talking about what he wills isn't he in his moment of prayer maybe what Jesus is doing with Peter is inviting him into the same prayer space that he's in Saying, Peter, I'm over here. My prayer is in recognition that my flesh wants something different than what God wants. And I'm hard at work praying to bring those things into alignment. My flesh is willing. I mean, my spirit is willing, but knowing the weakness, the possible weakness of his flesh. Maybe this is about Jesus as much as it is about Peter. It says, again, he went away and prayed. And he said the same words. And again, once more he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did
1: not know what to say to him. And we don't necessarily know. The way that it reads,
0: that particular part reads in the Gospel of Matthew, it's almost like he comes back and he sees them sleeping and then he's like, ah, uh, forget it. And he just goes back. And maybe that's what happens here too. Mark says it a little bit, if they don't, know, they don't know how to, they don't know what to say to him. Does Jesus confront them another time? We don't really know here, right? It doesn't say Jesus woke him again saying, Peter, strike two. That's not what, what, he said, what happens here. It just says he comes and he finds them sleeping because they don't know what to say to him. They don't know what to that. Because here in this space, Jesus is leading them beyond their own knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Way beyond their experience. Peter has been invited to join him in the prayer that will prepare them for the moment that's coming. They don't know what to say yet. They don't really know what they're up against yet. He comes, it says he came a third time. And he said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough, the hour has come the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners get up let us be going see my betrayer is at hand and then after this of course we have the rest of the story that's going to lead us into the cross but notice the way that it's phrased when he says are you still sleeping and taking your rest enough and then he says this the hour has come And I wanna take that back into what we heard at the beginning of Jesus's prayer the first time, right? What does he says? In In verse 35, he prayed that if it were possible that the hour would pass away from him. So when Jesus enters into this time of prayer in the garden, he is saying, let this hour pass away from me. But by the time he emerges from his prayer, By the time he comes out, he says, the hour has come. Somehow in this space, Jesus has moved from praying in a way to escape. And I don't know that I would say he's praying to embrace it, but Jesus has come to receive and accept what is coming. He has fully surrendered himself to the will of God. Surrendered himself to this moment and whatever else, whatever meaning might be infused in this. Jesus has come to this place in the moment of prayer in the garden of recognizing what's going to
1: happen to him. And receiving it. I love
0: that this story of prayer This intimate and this back and forth, the frustration of his disciples not being able to keep up quite yet, all of that. I love that this story is placed where it is in the gospel, right at the moment before Jesus is betrayed and arrested. This this time of prayer really does end. The alarm clock goes off when Judas is showing up at the garden. And I think that's significant because it's showing us that on his way to the cross, that Jesus, even Jesus, with all his union with the Father, even Jesus needs this moment of prayer to prepare himself for the rest of the way. And yet we might also say that this is not the first time that Jesus started praying like that. That Jesus' prayer of offering himself to the will of God, that's
1: not a moment that happened only in Gethsemane. Jesus is preparing to be with him from the very beginning, right? Now, they can't quite follow him here, but it's this kind of prayer
0: that led his disciples in the very beginning to say, Lord teach us to pray. It's the same sort of thing that calls us into that journey too, right? To kind of to where we can say, God, we we sometimes are strangers to what you want, but we want to be fully connected to you. We want to follow what you have for our lives. We want to seek your will, so teach us to pray. We need to recognize. And this is why that all that all that stuff comes with a warning label, right? Because praying with
1: Jesus leads me to the cross. Praying with Jesus will
0: always lead us to the cross.
1: Because there's no prayer. There is no
0: prayer that ultimately can't move towards surrender now that's not to say that there we we shouldn't honestly and authentically recognize to god this is where i'm not ready to surrender yet right we don't start with prayer with raising raising the white flag on day one but the longer we continue to follow jesus's way of prayer it will lead us further and further and further into the way of surrender, it will lead us to the cross. Ultimately, when we say, Lord, teach us to pray, he bids us to follow him into the garden and says, stay awake with me. And hear me say, God, if it's possible, take it from me. And yet, not what I will, but your will be done. In fact, in when the disciples first asked that question in what a Luke eleven, remember how he followed that thing with the Lord's prayer. The Lord teaches to pray even in their very first lesson when he said that to them. Was their first lesson include, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. So the Jesus who is teaching them to pray is teaching them to say, God, your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. And eventually that comes to places that will come to roads where we recognize when we are saying, God, your will be done. Then we have to, we have to also be saying, your will be done, even if it's not my will. Teach, it, teach me to have a will for what you want. But even when I'm in the place where it's not what I want, God, your will be done.
1: Crazy challenging. And speaking of crazy challenging, before
0: we get to this place in Mark chapter 14, just a handful of chapters before this, before Jesus moves into Jerusalem for these last uh, few Moments in his life for these last few days in his life in Mark chapter 10. There's this story that James and John come to Jesus, and this is in Mark 10, 35 and following. And he says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee came forward to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do
1: for us whatever we ask of you. I mean, who do they think he is? Right? I mean, that's the opposite of the garden
0: prayer, isn't it? The garden prayer is, let me do whatever it is you want. James and John say, we want you to do
1: whatever we want. Maybe this is why James and John get the invite along with Simon, right?
0: And he said to them, what is it that you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Oh man, Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. You want to be at the right hand and at the left hand of Jesus in his glory? They don't understand that his moment of glory is the cross. And there will indeed be somebody at his right hand. And there will indeed be somebody at his left hand.
1: They're not ready for that. But he says, you don't know what you're asking.
0: You don't know what you're asking. And then he says to them,
1: are you able drink the cup that I drink? And are you willing to undergo the baptism that I'm baptized with. Here, Jesus gives us a little hint
0: of the two great symbols of our Christian faith, right? And there are places where we rehearse the story of Jesus. We're baptized and we say, I'm being crucified with Christ and raised, buried with him, and then I'm being raised
1: with him. You guys did that in Romans six today. And then the table where we come to Jesus and we sit with him
0: and it is a, uh, it, it is a rehearsal of the, a, a remembrance, a retake, what do you call it? reenactment
1: of the Lord's supper, right? But some of us think of the Lord's Supper as just being about his sacrifice for us. And it is surely that. But the supper is also
0: an invitation for us to take the cup that Jesus takes.
1: And not just to benefit from the cross, but for us to be people who also
0: join Jesus in the surrender of the cross. It is a gift and it is a challenge. these two great symbols of the Christian faith, both ask us, in baptism and at the table, they ask us to stand with Jesus and to pray with him in the garden and say, God, not just what I will, but what you will, may it be done, for the benefit and the blessing of others and for your own glory. These two stories, they take place on the way to the cross. And so much of the story of our discipleship is learning to follow Jesus step for step on the way to the cross. So, in our baptism, at the beginning of our journey, at the table, week by week, And in our prayers, night by night, we are continually saying, Jesus, as we follow you to the cross, teach us the way of the cross. This is what it means to be a people who are following Jesus together. We'll follow him in seasons of victory and in seasons where it seems like he is blessing us and teaching us, maybe sometimes where we're getting everything just like we want. But we will also follow him in those dry and dark places. And we'll follow him in seasons that are full of deep distress and agitation, where we are. Praying out of something that grieves us to the point of death, like Jesus says, right? And the point isn't how do we feel about it? The point is, will we keep following? Even when we don't understand what it is that Jesus is asking. us Following. So we're going to take communion here in just a moment. If you didn't get one of these, um, if we can have a couple people that'll help uh, bring, just raise your hand and we'll bring bring those to you. Yeah, there's a basket here too. And while that's happening, I'll I'll just say, you know, um, I. I find it comforting in this story in Mark 10 that Jesus says to them when they when he says, can we drink the cup? Um, And they're like, sure. And he says, you know, you don't know. (laughs) You don't know what you're doing. Okay, you don't know what you're doing. Um, But then he goes on and he ends up saying. uh, You will. You will. You don't know yet. And you can't really. yet. you can't drink this cup yet. But you will. Jesus is saying to us, even though it is beyond us, I think by the Father's help and by his teaching, by the Spirit's movement within us. Jesus will teach us the way of the cross. So let us take this bread and this cup in confidence that we are beneficiaries of the cross of Jesus. It is his cross by which we have been saved. And yes, let, yet let us also take it answering his invitation to follow him. Saying that we will too go with him to the cross. Let us pray together. Oh Jesus, you ask your disciples. can we drink the cup. And you know that we can't without your help and care and guidance and without your rescue on the other side of it. So God, as we take this cup today, may your spirit move within us, teach us the way of surrender, teach us the way of the cross and give us grateful hearts for what you have given us in your son Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.